Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So my first question for tonight is one from me. And I said, what type of study is this? And I put up a picture, but let me describe it for those of you guys on the podcast. So we're starting with our population and then we're splitting them into two different branches. One group is getting the study drug. One group is getting the placebo. Then we have a washout period in the group switch. So now The group that was getting the drug is getting the placebo. The group that was getting the placebo is getting the drug. So this type of study, we know it's going to be some type of randomized control trial, right? Because I'm doing an experiment here. We have randomized groups. But that having those two veins and then having them cross over, this is going to be a crossover randomized control trial, not to be confused with cross-sectional, right? Cross-sectional is like a survey, one point in time. But this is a crossover randomized control trial. And what we mean by a crossover is we're starting with two groups, they're randomized, but halfway through, we're switching them. So all of a sudden, now I'm going from one group to the other. And a really great aspect of this type of study is that I can be my own control. So I actually need less participants because every participant is two people. And it's going to decrease variability because instead of having me in the study and matching me to someone who's similar to me, I'm just matched to myself. But because you're having three steps, phase one, washout, phase two, these types of studies are actually a lot longer than my parallel randomized control trial. Remember, with my parallel randomized control trial, I'm starting with my two groups, but you don't switch groups. You just stay in the same one the whole time. So pros and cons for each of them, but covering your research studies, you want to make sure that you're able to describe what they are too. Because if you can't put the different types of research studies, right, and we're thinking, meta-analysis, randomized control, case control, cohort, case study, cross-sectional, if you can't describe in your own words what those are, it means you don't know, right? Because we all can look at the Google definition. We can all look at the gene and definition. But if you can't describe to me what it is, that's going to be a really, really great example of something you need to go back on. And that's true, honestly, for the vocab throughout the exam. I always am encouraging my students to make sure you can put your own example, own example on it. Okay, next one is a math question. So grab your calculators if you want to do it together. So this one says we have a staff of 24 FTEs. And remember, FTE means full-time equivalent. 
And we're saying they're making 700 meals per day. How many meals per minute do they make per week? So this is the type of question where I'm gonna get organized before I jump in. So I'm saying, okay, I have 24 FTEs and we're talking about a time period of a week. So 24 FTEs working a week would be times 40 hours would be 960 hours. So I have 960 hours of work. And then I'm saying, I'm making 700 meals per day, but I'm talking about the time period of a week. So I'm gonna do 700 times seven. So that's telling me I have 4,900 meals. And then I'm looking at what it's asking me. How many meals per minute do we make per week? So I already have my meals, so that's perfect. And then I wanna make sure I'm in the right units because you wanna keep your units tight to get it right. So I need to go from 960 hours to minutes. And you wanna make sure that this is not the step you're getting wrong. So if it isn't obvious to you if you need to multiply or divide yet, this is when writing out your math can be really, really helpful. Because what we want to think is that there's going to be 60 minutes in an hour, right? So if we're having 60 minutes in an hour, I want to multiply my 960 times 60 minutes because that's going to cancel out my hours. So if I do that, I'm getting 50,600 minutes here. So I go back and I say, what did it want in? Meals. So in the week, I'm making 4,900 meals divided by 57,600 minutes. And this is telling me that I'm making 0 .9, 0 0.09 or if you didn't want to round that much, you have 0.085, but we can say 0.09 meals per minute during the week. So this one is a great one because the math isn't crazy complicated, but it's complicated because you're having a lot of steps too. And looking at the comments on the Facebook page of where people got where people got stuck is thinking about, well, it's not 24, it's not 24 hours a day, right? Because they're not working 24 hours a day. We're talking about FTEs. There's, there's standards there. So you wouldn't want to be doing it times 24 hours in a day. So you would want to say, okay, how many FTEs do I have? Then use that to find minutes. And then you're just dividing your meals per minute there. So definitely a lot of different answers we got in the chat. So if you didn't get that answer that I got, which is our 0 0.09 meals per minute, definitely go give it a try now that you know what you're looking for too. Okay, next one is a question for me. And I said this week in my monthly group, my tutoring students were working on domain two. And a tricky topic for them was using 
prothrombin time. And I said, what is prothrombin time and how do blood thinners and vitamin K impact it? Be sure to put this in your own words, right? We talked about this before already in this class. How would you describe it to a patient? So one student's saying prothrombin time is used to measure how quickly the blood is clotting. So if we have a blood thinner, it's going to prolong the rate, right? Because it's thinning the blood, it's going to take longer to clot, longer prothrombin time. Versus if I'm taking vitamin K, vitamin K is going to be pro-clotting. So taking vitamin K would decrease prothrombin time because things are going to clot quicker. So when we're giving a warfarin or Coumadin education to our patients, it's not necessarily limit vitamin K, but it's have a consistent amount. So like I always joke with my students, not my students, my patients at work, like I'll tell them like, okay, don't go be having so many kale salads now. You know, you don't want to change it without, you know, talking to your doctor. So sometimes you do run into trouble with the patients who are like super motivated and they're like, oh my God, I ate no vegetables before. And now all of a sudden I'm going to eat so many vegetables too. And you can, you can have a ton of vitamin K in your diet. You just want to make sure you're being consistent with it is the most important thing. So prothrombin time is just looking at the time to clot. So if I'm having blood that's quick to clot, that's a low prothrombin time. If it's slow to clot, that's a high or prolonged prothrombin time too. Next one, I had a student email me this this week, and honestly, I had to give it a Google because I was like, what? So her question that she emailed me, she said, Dana, what's the French and Raven basis of power? And when she emailed me that, I was like, what? Like, I mean, I'm thinking it's management, but I've never heard it talked about this way. And this is kind of like the formal, quote unquote, formal name for our different types of power, right? Which is domain three. So whenever you're going through a question and you're getting, you're seeing a new term or a new vocab word, always give it a Google because sometimes it's something you know, but you're not going to connect it yet. So when we're thinking about the French and Raven bases of power, we're thinking about coercive, we have legitimate, reward, referent, expert. These are different types of power. And how I like to teach them in my management class is thinking about this is why you would do something I told you to do. This is why I could have power over you. So coercive, you're going to do something I say because I'm going to take something away from you, right? I'm, if I say, you know, if you don't do your homework by Friday, I'm not going to grade it. So you're going to go, oh my God, I need to do my homework or she's not going to grade it. She's going to take that away from me. The opposite of that is reward is going to be reward power. Because when we have reward power, what we're thinking is you're going to do something because I'm going to give you something, right? So this would be like write a review, you know, on the podcast and you'll get something for free. So you might write a review on the podcast so you can get something for free. And this is definitely the case. So if you write a review on Apple Podcasts, send me a screenshot. I'll give you a little prize. I'll use my reward power over you. 
Um, the next one is legitimate. This one's also known as position power. This is the only one where they actually have to be the boss, right? So like this could be like your boss saying like, hey, I need you to come in 15 minutes early. They're not threatening you. They're not going to give you anything, but they are the boss. So you're going to do it. Reverend power is you're going to do something for me because you like me, right? So like this could be, you know, like referring your friend to tutoring, right? You're not necessarily going to get a reward, you know, but you're like, oh, I really like data's tutoring. I just want to kind of share. I mean, maybe I'm going to post on my Instagram. Maybe I'll write a review for it. So that would be reverend power. You just like me. So you're going to do something for me. And then expert is you're going to do something because I'm telling you to do it and I'm the expert in it. So like I saw one of my one-on-one students before the class and she was struggling with her math. And I was like, you know what? We need to spend the next two days really working on your math. Do this practice question set and review this study guide. And she's going to do it, right? Because she's hearing the expert tutor say, this is what you need to be successful with the math. So with the types of power, right? And now you can put that extra name on it of the French and Raven. Think about it's why you would do something for someone else. Next up, we have another question from me. What are the types of diarrhea that occur when solutes are present in the intestine? And I was laughing because one of you guys on the page was like, not more diarrhea questions, but this is why we do them because they bring in, you know, digestion, absorption, biochemistry, and diarrhea is kind of like a quote unquote simple topic that can be really tricky when you're just blowing through the vocab and not understanding the mechanism. So this one is describing osmotic diarrhea. So osmotic diarrhea is going to occur when we have solutes in the GI tract. So this could be like lactose. If you're lactose intolerant, it could be concentrated sugars from dumping syndrome. It could be something like sugar alcohols that aren't going to get absorbed. But you're having a lot of concentrated solutes in the GI tract. And the GI tract is like Goldilocks. Nothing too hot, nothing too cold, nothing too concentrated, nothing too dilute. So it doesn't like that it has concentrated something in the GI tract. So the water is going to move through osmosis, right? Going from areas of low solute to high solute, it's going to into your GI tract, and then you're going to get diarrhea. So keywords you're looking for for osmotic diarrhea would be looking for solutes and then osmosis, movement of water. You also want to make sure you know other types. So one of the common ones we see in patients in the hospital is secretory diarrhea. So this is when your small bowel and your large intestine are secreting out electrolytes, fluid, and usually this is happening when you're having C. diff. It's kind of trying to like flush out your intestines. And this is going to happen whether you're eating or not. So secretory would not be impacted by NPO status. We also have exudative, which is going to be your inflammatory type of diarrhea. So you'd see this in inflammatory bowel disease whenever there's mucosal inflammation. And what's happening here is that inflammation is blocking anything from getting absorbed. So it's going to come out. And then we can also have malabsorptive. So malabsorptive would be what you'd see with like short bowel syndrome where there's not just not enough runway, kind of surface area to absorb. 
or in something like pancreatitis or bile insufficiency where you're not having the components that you need to. Um, Next one we have is from a student who is saying, you know, if high protein levels affect BUN, right, by making it higher, is this only for people with kidney disease or anyone who has increased protein? For example, a lot of athletes or weightlifters, bodybuilders, increased protein. Should they be concerned about BUN levels? So BUN levels, if you're eating excess amount of protein, increasing your protein, you can definitely see BUN levels rising. And so one of the things you want to watch out for is making sure that you're keeping your patients well hydrated. So is as you're increasing protein, you also want to be increasing water intake. And this can help you kind of not have that BUN rise. But if you're having someone, like I feel like there's always those videos online that are like, oh, you know, I eat 600 grams of protein a day. If you're eating excessive amount of protein, we are concerned for your kidneys. So if you're increasing protein, you want to make sure you're also increasing fluid. But even if you're increasing fluid, if you're having an excessive amount of protein, you are definitely going to start to see some concerns with your kidney, including rising BUN. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.